A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to be uh, talking a little about permitless carry. Now, there are a number of states that we can be talking about permitless carry in. Nebraska, lawmakers there are uh, currently debating LB-77, which is a uh, permitless carry bill. Uh, now, Democrats are trying to filibuster that bill, so a vote not expected until Friday at the earliest could be pushed back until next week. And, of course, next week is when the Florida legislature officially kicks off its 2023 session on March the 4th. But uh, lawmakers have been pre-gaming permitless carry in the Sunshine State of Florida. They have already advanced permitless carry bills uh, through committee in both the House and the Senate. Now, these bills are a little different uh, in terms of the language. Uh, The Senate bill is a little bit more expansive, uh, goes beyond just permitless carry and deals with... uh, uh, I believe uh, some uh, some sensitive places as well. But uh, generally speaking, lawmakers in Florida are on board with permitless carry. It looks like this bill is uh, headed for swift passage once uh, lawmakers return to Tallahassee next week. And uh, Sherry McKnight from Big Daddy Unlimited joined me. We actually spoke on uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, about this bill. McKnight has testified uh, uh, regarding the legislation uh, in committee during one of those hearings. And yet we do get into the fact that this is permitless carry we're talking about, not constitutional carry in Florida. But as McKnight says, it's not the best bill that we could have, but it's still a step in the right direction. Take a look and a listen. Sherry, thanks so much for joining me today. It's great talking with you. Uh, uh, Thank you, Cam. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me on. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, And and listen, thanks for all of your efforts here um, with permitless carry in Florida. This is teed up. It looks like, you know, all of the sort of groundwork has been done so that when the session starts next week, um, lawmakers can hit the ground running. These these bills are already ready for floor action. Um, Tell me what it was like. What was your experience like testifying in support of permitless carry? And, and, And what are your thoughts on Florida, you know, possibly becoming the 26th state to recognize your right to bear arms without a government issued permission slip? Well, that's an interesting question because, yes, you're right. We do consider it permitless carry rather than constitutional carry um, because, as you know, in the other 25 states, they have true constitutional carry. And this would not include open carry as it is in the other 25 states. And there is currently some form of open carry in 47 states. So in that regard, We do want to be clear that we don't believe this is actually constitutional carry, definitely permitless carry, but I do support that. Yeah, and listen, I live in Virginia. Virginia is one of those 47 states, right, where I need a license to carry concealed, but I don't have to have a license to openly carry. As long as I can legally own my gun, I can openly carry it. Um, And I will say that, you know, where I live in rural Virginia, it is it's not uncommon to see folks openly carry. Um, I don't see it on a daily basis, but you know, when I'm at the gas station or the grocery store, occasionally I run across somebody who does. It's not an issue. It's not an issue in any of the 47 states where open carry is allowed. And I confess, I'm a little perplexed why lawmakers didn't include open carry uh, in this bill as well. I have a sneaking suspicion, Sherry, that you know, lawmakers love to do things one piece at a time. So they can always go back the next session and say, hey, look, we're, we're doing something more. I have a feeling that open carry might be one of those things that gets included a year or two down the road. 
Um, but I, I, you know, and I've thought about this because I know Gun Owners of America has objected to the bill as it's written. And I understand those concerns, again, living in an open carry state. At the same time, I'm one of those guys who thinks you don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and while this bill does not go as far as I'd like it to go, mm-hmm. I still think it would be a marked improvement for Florida gun owners. Well, that's why we did show up and support it. Um, of course, we're friends with uh, all the organizations that were there and present. I spoke with them before I delivered my remarks. Um, but I do believe that as well. And what we learned actually in that um committee meeting is from a procedural perspective, if that bill was voted down that day, that would be it for this session. So, you know, you would have to revisit the entire thing again. Um, But I do understand the concerns also as to why they are opposing it. But I feel like you do. I do believe very strongly that we need the we need the right to keep without the license, especially, um, you know, we've seen instances I'm sure it's uh, nationwide, but we've seen it here in Florida where people who were being targeted, um, I will use the case of women who, um, you know, law enforcement won't do anything, isn't able to really do anything to help you until you're actually harmed. And so if you're waiting for red tape and bureaucrats to determine if you're able to get your license, this could, uh, this inefficiency could take your life. And it has happened. Uh, and in my personal life, I have seen that happen in our own family. So permitless carry, carry if we're going to call it that, I'm still for it. And um, I would like to say, with regard to us becoming the 26th state, it's kind of a little bit overdue, considering you know we were one of the first of the shall issue states in 1987, and we've been given the nickname of the Gunshine State. And now we are the free state of Florida, which no question, people are flocking here to come here to experience the freedom that we've had for so long. We look around and thought things were weird, you know, because we were living life pretty much as usual. And we're very grateful for that. But when it comes to the Second Amendment, where we have super majorities uh, in our Florida legislature, it has not necessarily meant super pro to a gun legislation. And in fact, it's meant gun control. Uh, talking about uh, what happened after Parkland, right, with the yes. uh, ban on uh, gun sales for under 21s, the uh, the red flag law. Uh, you're right. Um, you know, and it's interesting to know that the under 21 gun ban is uh, being challenged in court. And yeah. I don't think it's going to fare well, honestly. Um, the red flag law in Florida, I don't believe, is currently facing a court challenge. But, you, you know, my friend Kurt Slichter kind of wrote about this phenomenon at uh, Town Hall this week where it seems like sometimes in the reddest of red states, that's where you find some of these squishiest of conservatives, right? They don't want to go too far. They don't want to. Maybe it's a matter of, you know, well, we don't want to alienate our base. You know, we'll, we'll stick with what got us here. Yeah. But you're right. Florida really was a leader on this issue back in the 80s. Um, and it's, it's you know, again, I'm not uh, trying to cast too much shade at uh, lawmakers for taking up the issue now, but from one of the first shall issue states to the 26th potentially permitless carry state. Um, yeah, there is some work to be done here, right? And and we need to ensure as gun owners that we are electing officials who aren't going to treat us as an afterthought. And they're not going to treat our Second Amendment rights as just some sort of issue to check off their to-do list every legislative session, right? Well, we'll, we'll throw gun owners this yeah. bone and this little bone over here, and that way we can say we did something. That's not what we're asking for. And frankly, at this moment in time, the attacks that are being levied against our right to keep and bear arms in blue states across the country, 
We need those red state lawmakers to be fierce protectors of our right to keep and bear arms. Yes. And um, I have a saying uh, that's pretty um, common and and widespread, and it's you got to show up to go up. So a couple of things we show up, you know, for everything. We don't back down from a fight. We show up. Showing up may mean showing up at a rally, showing up in a legislator's office, showing up to speak in front of the House or the Senate. We just, you know, have to show up because if we get comfortable in thinking, well, we've got, you know, this supermajority or we're firmly red. We have proof with Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and others, and even in this bill, that you can't take anything for granted. But what I learned um, additionally by sitting through this committee hearing, which was the uh, criminal justice uh, committee hearing, there's all kinds of amendments and things that people generally don't know. And one of the, it was struck down, but it was so interesting because it was wanting to determine the number of concealed weapons you could carry on you. And it was going to be one. Now, wait a minute. If you're going to say we're getting the permitless carry and everything, but then you're going to determine how many we get to carry when a lot of people went up and said, I carry two on me all the time. But the fact is, you can't give us a little freedom and then also reel it back in. You can't determine we're either infringed or we're not. We either have the freedom or we don't. So that was really interesting. And it was also very important to hear um, the questions that were being asked by, let's say, the opposing senators, the um, the Democrat senators who asked a lot of questions, primarily more than anybody else, you know, there. And of course, in the room was present um, the moms demand action, students demand action. And the common thread between all of it was the lack of knowledge, lack of education on the subject matter, and the misinformation that I think People really believe because they believe the narratives, mm-hmm. um, but then the legislators don't actually even check into the questions that they're asking and preface them by saying, now, I don't know anything about this, but this would be terrible. This would be dangerous. This would um, make guns on the street for everyone. And they forget one little key thing. You still need a background check. If you want to purchase a gun legally, they they think that this just now means every, you know, for lack of a better term, Tom, Dick and Harry can just go out and get a gun at will. And you still have to have a background check. And if you don't pass it, you don't get to lawfully carry that gun. But of course, as we know, even though we're going to follow the rules, the other guys that are commonly referred to as criminals, they're going to do what they want to do, no matter what our law says and they're going to do they're going to break the law because they've already determined that they're a criminal that's why they're doing it so right well that's the thing i mean you know listen and and yes in florida you know if you if you don't uh go to a retailer like big daddy unlimited yes if if you choose to do those you know private transfers you don't have to go through a background check but as you point out criminals aren't going through a background check anyway even in states that have universal background checks right where even private transfers of firearms are 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 forbidden unless you go to a gun store and you put that person through a background check look new mexico put universal background checks on the books i believe it was 2018 their violent crime rate has just gone up since then um yeah. the second highest violent crime rate in the nation right criminals don't care 
about these background check laws, most of which, by the way, come with a misdemeanor fine, you know, the potential for maybe a few months in jail, which isn't going to happen for a first offender. Violent criminals know this, and they're not getting their guns through legal means anyway. Like you say, they're stealing them. They're getting through straw purchases. Maybe they're building them illegally uh, if they're a prohibited person. But uh, no, they're not walking into a gun store for the most part and uh, trying to buy a firearm at retail. you know, and but but Sherry, this is something I think that's really important that you hit on here because I think this has been going on for decades, but I think it's really been amped, amped up since the Bruin decision. This attempt to delegitimize gun ownership, right? And and so it's not just well, violent criminals could get a hold of guns; they'd be walking around with guns. We're also seeing those scare tactics that date back to the 80s, right? Oh, my gosh, more people, just more people in general are going to be carrying. And that's going to lead to, you know, shootouts over parking spaces and things of that nature. It's the exact same debate that we heard when Florida was debating shall issue concealed carry in the 80s. What actually happened when when Florida passed shall issue is the violent crime rate declined, right? Homicides dropped by more than 50 percent. Violent crime declined by more than 50 percent. Florida's violent crime and homicide rate below the national average now. Um, so, you know, these claims have been debunked by history, by reality. Uh, and I think the same is going to be true when it comes to permitless carry as well. Well, it's like um, with open carry. One of the things I feel uh, with open carry, which it's so weird because I understand the um, scarier things seem to be, oh, well, if we let people carry concealed, you know, that'll be more dangerous. But now it's like we can't let them open carry. So, you know, kind of which is it? But my point is. Very few people in Florida would probably open carry, but if they chose to, it should be their right to do so. And the way I see that, and part of my comments was, um, that would let someone know, you know, she looks like a good target. Nope, she's got a gun on her hip. I'll pick someone else. It kind of lets the criminal know that you are not to be messed with. So whether you're concealing or whether you're open carrying, it's just nice to know that today is not the day that you are going to become a victim. And the thing that I don't understand, especially um, from a female perspective, when there's so much commentary out there about, you know, uh, being able to take care of yourself in every which way, I won't uh, repeat the the narratives out there. But then when it comes to self-protection, being able to protect and defend yourself, you are... um, less of a person, less of a woman. You're not looked upon uh, as you're uh, carrying the water because you want to have a a gun. You want to have a firearm. You want to know that you can protect yourself. And so sometimes you have to go into situations where you can't bring your gun. Um, Even still, you know what I found? It's interesting because you can't bring a a, a weapon. You know, you have to go through the uh, magnetometers and all this other stuff. But I still get in with my pepper spray and a knife. So I am a person who still wants to be safe. I go through the the things and I get through, but I never want to put myself in a position where I don't have something, some way to protect myself. So for all of the people out there, I have a, a policy of get in where you fit in. You know, even when this passes, it might not be for you today, but do something. Let's work on protecting ourselves because society is becoming more violent. Um, And the same people that don't want us to have guns, literally, this was said, at this point, you need to call the um, law enforcement to come to your rescue. 
well, wait a minute. You guys wanted to defund them as well. So you don't want me to take care of myself. You say, I don't need a man to take care of myself. I also don't need law enforcement. So how do you want me to take care of myself? Just with a phone, Sherry. That's all you need. Just a well, phone. And then we and then we saw <laughs> during our summer of love and beyond that it was taking, you know, if it was an extreme call, not a casual call, yeah. um, you know, there's various levels of phone calls to law enforcement that the quick speed was over 13 minutes. Yep. Oh yeah, listen, this is still happening today. I don't I mean, you know, the, the officer retention rates, the officer shortfalls in a lot of departments, those haven't been fixed since 2020. A lot of places they've gotten even worse. You know, um, we're seeing this in places like Washington, D.C., Detroit, where sometimes 911 calls just don't even get answered, much less, uh, you know, get a quick response. So right. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we are seeing so many Americans embrace their right to keep and bear arms for the first time over the past few years. You know, clearly there was that surge in 2020, but I, I mean, you can tell us you're still seeing first time gun owners show up at your stores, right? All the time, without question, we're still doing a lot of concealed uh uh, concealed training classes here so people can get their permits. We do mm -hmm. those monthly. Um, now I get to see this even more firsthand because we've just moved our Gainesville store location here to our Big Daddy Unlimited headquarters. So I'm in our shop um, every single day, been there a bunch today, and I'm seeing people. I just saw a young girl over there um, with someone getting some, uh, asking a lot of great questions. I'm pretty sure she is not an experienced um firearms owner. She might've been buying her first, but we see it all the time. In fact, I just had a female instructor here yesterday and she was shooting some content and the bulk of her business is training women and first time gun users. They may have gotten their concealed permit already because I think I kind of did it backwards. Um, at least that's how some people here say, you know, the first time you fire a gun shouldn't be at your concealed weapons class. Well, it might not be, but that was what happened for me. And um, I took it so far. Uh, my husband and I built big daddy guns and such. But the first day, you know, I shared that story uh, before the Senate, too, is the Second Amendment is the key thing for me. The 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 gun, the 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 tool that is my tool for freedom. Um, not only in my country, but for me personally. But the Second Amendment is the thing that I clung to. You know, we used to learn about uh, our amendments and the Constitution back in school, you know, in our day. And I always knew that I had the right to exercise, you know, keep and bear arms. I could do it, but I never did until I was 44 years old. That was the very first time I ever fired a weapon. And it was at my concealed weapons training class. And it was because I decided to spring into action. I wanted to protect and defend myself. I wanted to exercise my right because I was thinking, I'm hearing this term gun control. I don't want to lose my right to buy a gun. I need to go and get one. So the first thing I did was take a concealed course. And then from then on is when I started buying guns and taking my training classes. So I do believe the idea that when we open this up for people to be able to get a, uh, be able to conceal a weapon, be able to have a weapon without permitting, without the classes, what you take in a concealed weapons class here in the state of Florida is not sufficient for what you might call education. So if lawmakers were saying or feeling comfortable about that, it's really about the person. Yes, you have to fire a, a one round. Uh, legally, that's what you gotta do. You gotta fire a round and you gotta take this basic class that's about two hours. It is useful, it is helpful. 
but it is not enough if you want to be what I would say is a responsible gun owner. Um, the first thing I learned in my first course was you shouldn't even carry the firearm unless you are comfortable with any outcome. You know, you need to be sure that you're prepared to use it and prepared to deal with the fallout, no matter what it is. So I took that very, very seriously. And I started taking classes before I even started concealing. So, and then over time, then your education, your confidence, it grows. And that's what I think is responsible ownership, yeah. gun ownership. And I think that's what by and large people want to do. They're not right. trying to create the wild, wild west. They will do that. I believe it's our inherent nature. We are carrying firepower on us. We don't want to hurt people, including ourselves. So we will get training. I think you're right about that. I I, I do. I mean, and, and we've seen this, I think, because again, Florida's not the first state to go down this road, right? So we have seen this. It's not like firearms instructors have all been put out of business in 25 states across the country uh, when constitutional carry comes into play. You're right. People want that training and education for their peace of mind so that they feel comfortable and, and competent carrying a firearm. And honestly, you know, so where I live in Virginia, we've got a divided legislature. The Democrats control the state Senate, Republicans control the House and the governorship. Um, so all the Democrats proposed a bunch of gun control laws that died in the in the House and all the Republicans proposed a bunch of good laws that died in the Senate. But they did find agreement on uh, one measure this year that provides like a three hundred dollar tax credit for the purchase of a, a of a gun safe. Um, you know, really minor. It's not it, it passed, I think, unanimously. But I've been thinking about this. Why don't we see more states if there's this concern about a lack of training? Well, why not provide tax credits for continuing firearms education? Right. Forget the mandate, because you're right. I don't I don't believe in mandated training. But if we want to foster an environment of educated, responsible gun owners, well, then make it easier for them to get that training. You know, cut them a break, cut them a check, let them deduct this from their taxes. Um, every time they go and take a course, whether it's a basic pistol course or, you know, something a little bit uh, 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 further on in their instruction. Well, I actually think that would be a great idea. I think where that, um, you know, bumps heads is that would be great wisdom. That's a great idea. That would foster probably more gun ownership, more safety, more security. But is that what they really want? That's the question, right? So I, I again, maybe in red states like Florida, maybe this is something again where we want to see lawmakers do a little bit more. Maybe a state like Florida is a place where we can see something like this get done. But uh, I guess that's a probably a topic and a, a legislative item for another day. Uh, in the meantime, Sherry, I really do appreciate uh, all of your activism, all of the work that you're doing, not just in Florida but around the country. Uh, and it is always so good to get a chance to spend some time with you. Well, thank you so much. As you know, I'm a huge fan of um, you, you, your show, your the website, bearingarms.com. So I just love being able to get all that news. I love being able to know what's going on everywhere with our Second Amendment. It's so important. It is the foundation for freedom. So I'm going to keep showing up to go up, and um, I hope others will too. Absolutely. Sherry McKnight, thanks so much for being with us here on Cam and Company. I appreciate Sherry joining me on the program. Looking forward to uh, talking with her again very soon. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there, Columbus, Ohio, where, you know, lawmakers are trying to undo the state's preemption law, right? They've passed a couple of local ordinances that squarely violate the preemption law. But so far, 
Uh, judges in Franklin County have declined to issue an injunction halting enforcement of the ban on 30-plus round magazines. Uh, there's a, a storage requirement. City of Columbus actually just amended its uh, magazine ban to say, all right, you've got until July the 1st to either permanently modify your magazines, destroy them, or turn them over to police, or, or get them out of town. Uh, or else, if you're caught with a magazine, you could be facing six months behind bars. Yeah. And while the city of Columbus is trying to uh, undo preemption by going after the rights of law-abiding citizens, in the name of public safety, right? That's why they're, supposedly that's the reason for this. Because crime's going up in Columbus. We got to do something. So let's crack down on legal gun owners. Meanwhile, we see headlines like this. Double murder suspect released from jail just days before Northeast Columbus shooting. Huh. How about that? Not a legal gun owner, from what we know. 37-year-old Jonathan Pegram charged with two counts of murder, one count of felonious assault, accused of shooting and killing a man and a woman at a bar called Cheers 2 on a Wednesday. Also injured another man in the shooting, which happened early Wednesday morning about 2.19 a.m. According to records, police found Pegram armed with a handgun in the parking lot, hiding behind a car. Police say that Pegram shot and killed Cornette Powell and Dawn Dunn. The uh, injured man not been identified, but uh, police do say that Pegram has a long criminal history, including convictions for serious felonies like robbery, burglary, and drugs. So, no, not a lawful possessor of a firearm. And uh, ABC6 in Columbus reports that the courts and the sheriff's office have confirmed that Pegram was released from the Franklin County Jail last week uh, on probation for a separate case. We don't know what those charges were specifically, but I imagine we'll learn. Uh, Homicide Sergeant Edward Powell telling ABC6 that Pegram was wearing an ankle monitor at the time of his arrest. So, uh, yeah, right. And again, we talked about this on the program earlier this week, too. Uh, You know, we've seen all kinds of issues with these ankle monitors being cut off and alerts go out, but nothing really happens. But I'm not convinced that even when someone is wearing a monitor, they're actually being monitored, uh, or that when they are seen to be somewhere where they're not supposed to be, anything at all really happens, right? Maybe the probation office gets notified. Maybe there's a warrant. Maybe there's a check-in. But it's not like when the alarm goes off, uh, alerting the authorities that, uh, hey, <clears throat> this individual who's out on bond uh, or on probation and is being monitored somewhere he's not supposed to be, it's not like, you know, all of a sudden an all-point bulletin gets sent out and officers rush to the scene. That's not what happens. It's a bit of security theater. See, here you have a guy just released from jail with an ankle monitor, illegally gets a hold of a gun that he's not legally allowed to have, and allegedly uses it to shoot three people. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think a gun storage law or a a misdemeanor uh, ordinance or a a ban on 30-round magazines is going to have an impact on guys like uh, Mr. Pegram here. Instead, it seems to me what we need to be doing is ensuring that the criminal justice system actually functions and delivers consequences for serious crimes rather than spitting serial offenders back out onto the street. Today's uh, armed citizen story from Ohio. Now, I got to say, this is 
not a headline-making story. I mean, I guess in the local news, <laughs> in the uh, Shioto Valley Guardian, it's news. But I didn't see this story reported anywhere else, even in Ohio media. 911 call released of Ross County couple stopping a burglar at gunpoint. Now, maybe that's one of the reasons why this story just didn't make a lot of headlines, because like the vast majority of defensive gun uses, in this particular case, the couple in question did not have to pull the trigger of their firearm. Uh, the presence of that firearm was apparently enough to keep the burglar at bay until authorities arrived. Uh, now, this happened on uh, a couple of days ago, a uh, rural area in Ross County, Ohio. It's about 1130 at night when a, a guy breaks through a garage door. And on the uh, 911 tape, you can hear the uh, couple uh, saying, get out of here. We both have a gun. We're going to shoot you if you kick that door down. Deputies described the couple as elderly, said that both the man and woman had guns as the burglar broke down the door to their garage and then continued to get inside the home by breaking down a second door. The couple told law enforcement that a man appeared to be high on drugs and they didn't know who he was. They told deputies the man was shouting he wanted to marry their daughter, but when told police they don't have any kids. On the 911 call, you can hear her say, I swear to God, if he kicks down this door, I'm going to shoot him. I'm not kidding. I'm going to have to shoot him. He's a big guy and I weigh 100 pounds. Elderly couple at home, much younger guy, much bigger guy trying to break down their door. Yeah, I'm glad that they had a firearm. I'm glad they didn't have to use it either. According to uh, authorities, the uh, uh, male homeowner uh, is disabled. Uh, and can be heard uh, yelling in the background of the uh, call, telling the burglar to uh, come back to tomorrow. Just trying to get him to, you know, snap back to reality. Um, the woman in question uh, told officers or told the 911 dispatcher at one point, you're going to have to hurry. I don't want to have to kill this man, but the way he is, is going to be him or me. Thankfully, again, deputies arrived on the scene, arrested the man before he could get inside the uh, actual residence of the home. Um Police, at least the local news accounts, don't say what uh, charges this guy was arrested for. We'll try to find out more information. But uh, thankfully, at the very least, this couple is uh, safe. Glad the deputies were able to arrive as quickly as they did. But I'm also glad, very glad, that this couple was prepared to protect themselves and defend their lives if officers hadn't arrived by the time that second door was breached. Finally, Today's good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, well, unable to do the right thing, a, a group of Good Samaritans in Plantation, Florida, who helped rescue a man after his car burst into flames. Yeah, we've had these types of stories before, but uh, I'm always glad when these stories have a happy ending. Apparently, this car had crashed into a utility pole, uh, and the pole was in danger of falling down. It was basically just being held up by the uh, the power line. Um, and that's what folks saw. It happened about uh, 4.30 Tuesday afternoon. According to the Sun Sentinel newspaper, multiple passerby had already removed the man from the car and brought him to the uh, median of the uh, the roadway by the time fire and rescue arrived. Uh, Avidal Stark lives next door to where the uh, crash happened, uh, saw what happened, saw the uh, Good Samaritan show up. Aston Bright is a spokesman for the uh, Plantation Fire Department, says the uh, man had serious injuries, was taken to a trauma center uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Said the car really, really hit this thing pretty hard. To break those concrete poles uh, is not easy. Uh, Avidal Stark says she was sitting in her living room with her husband when they heard the crash and the power went out. She said, I heard all those yelling, people yelling to each other. It sounded like an argument. So she's looking out the window. Her husband runs outside. Car at this point was already on fire. But uh, Stark says she saw multiple neighbors, including one who had just gotten his daughter off the school bus, 
uh, run over to help extricate the guy. Now, again, keep in mind, the car's on fire at this point, right? So they would try to get close, but then the flames would get bigger. She said they'd have to move back. She said somebody uh, yelled out, break the back window, break the back window. And she said that's when her husband saw a uh, boy who looked like he was wearing a baseball uniform, hit the back window with a baseball bat. Another neighbor standing out in the roadway trying to stop cars. And then the uh, group able to uh, pull the man apparently from the rear of the car, uh, bringing him to the median. Uh, Stark said, who has the presence of mind to do that? The person with the baseball bat. You know, again, man, sometimes we rise to the occasion. And folks who don't think that they've got it in them, turns out they absolutely do. I don't know if that was the case here in Plantation, Florida, but again, not one, but multiple Good Samaritans stepping up and acting to save this man's life. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, we thank all of them for the very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But I do want to let you know, we are planning on a special uh, bonus edition tomorrow. I am scheduled to be talking with Chuck Michelle of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. Also, the lead counsel in the Federal Firearms Licensees of Illinois lawsuit against the uh, Illinois gun and magazine ban. So we're going to be talking with Chuck about all kinds of of legal issues uh, in cases both in Illinois and in California tomorrow. Um, that's going to come up again on a, a special Friday edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I don't want to wait until Monday for that. So we're going to give that to you tomorrow as well. Uh, and I would encourage you, keep checking out BearingArms.com. we got a lot of stuff going on. We're covering the permitless carry fight in Nebraska, covering the uh, upcoming, hopefully not much of a fight, but hopefully swift passage in uh, Florida, as well as uh, constitutional carry in South Carolina, and a host of of other issues near and dear to your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see at Bearing Arms, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do, go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. And as our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else, because your support really does matter. And it truly does make a difference. So thank you again. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.